Welcome back to another episode of Vegan Proteins Muscles by Brussels Radio. My name is Giacomo. And I'm Danny. And this is our 45th episode. All right, so this should be airing in the first or second week of February. Unfortunately, this is our second time recording this episode. So tried to record batch episodes and I ended up deleting it and it was a good one. So we are gonna try to do it again without just sounding like we are repeating ourselves. By February, we will be gearing up for the cruise that is in early March. Very excited about that. And also it is my birthday month on the 16th. I will be turning the big three, three, which is my three is my favorite number. So this will be double good, extra good. <laughs> yeah. You know what? I think it's kind of weird that we're afraid of not repeating ourselves right now. I mean, <laughs> it's been 10 years of running vegan pro. It will be 10 years in March, by the way. I don't know if anyone knows that about us. And we've been around for that long doing this damn thing and uh, and loving every minute of it, you know? Highs and lows, but I gotta say, I don't mind repeating over and over again the answer to where do you get your protein, for example, which is pretty much what this episode is about. So if it's a little redundant, whatever. I feel like these myths need to be smashed once and for all. Yeah, I agree with that. And I also think that when you're trying to create content uh, you just have to accept the fact that you're going to be repeating yourself an awful, awful lot. And there are certain questions that no matter how many times you answer them, you get asked them anyway. And questions about protein in specific, I don't think a day has gone by since I've gone vegan that I haven't been asked about protein in some capacity. That is some almost 17 years of being asked about protein every damn day. So today we're going to talk about all about the vegan proteins. Today's episode of Muscles by Brussels Radio is proudly sponsored by Health IQ, a life insurance company that specifically rewards vegan lifters for their health conscious choices with lower rates. I found the application process to be pretty cool. Should you have a nutrition journal, like MyFitnessPal, for example, you could submit your data to them, and they will reward your health-based choices, like eating plant-based, with some of the lowest quotes that you can possibly find out there, because they're catered to you. Vegans have lower all-cause mortality rate, a lower risk of heart disease, and a lower risk of cancer. So why not take advantage of the savings we receive for living a more health-minded life? Head over to healthiq.com forward slash vegan proteins to both support our show and to see just how low of a rate you can qualify for for being the healthy person that you are. So while we're delving into our favorite question here, why don't we just get right into it? Where do we get our protein? Got any answers for me? I can't with that question. I appreciate your enthusiasm, <laughs> but you can't ask me that, Giacomo, and you can't ask me that like that. Uh, but I have to. It's it's literally like the age-old question. <laughs> Where does the vegan get their protein? You know, the, the, the truth of the matter is that everything has protein, you know, and that, that is inherently true. But that being said, as athletes, as vegan athletes, you know, we realize that certain plant-based foods 
have more proteins than others, you know? And to be screaming from the top of the mountain that almonds have protein and quinoa has protein, well, like, I get it. You know, there's a little bit of protein in everything and it does add up. But is it really going to make it so that you're going to get as much protein as you need for the day? Well, I think that's the, the question is how much protein do you need in the day? And that is going to de depend very, very much so on your lifestyle. And I think we need to back way, way up here for a second and talk about the general population, the non-vegan population and their sort of obsession with protein. And I think this goes way back to like the Arnold days really where, you know, they ate a ton of chicken and egg whites and fish and protein became the be all end all macronutrient where everybody was focused on, you know, if you wanted to build muscle, you had to eat as much protein as possible. Uh, there was also, it goes back even further to a time where there were huge divides between the impoverished and the wealthy and the wealthy people could afford meat and dairy and eggs and the poor people couldn't. So protein became a food of affluence. Um, and, you know, you fast forward to now and then there's this whole generations, I would say, of people that think protein is incredibly important um, to the detriment of other macronutrients, I think is the issue here because protein is very important. But you look at the 90s, I feel like definitely epitomized this with the gym bros, especially thinking you needed to eat sometimes three grams of protein per pound of body weight in order to achieve your goals. And that's just insane. I mean, I used to hear about people eating five, 600 grams of protein a day. And that's crazy. So then you have the whole vegan community, right? Mm. And people who have recently become vegan, they're kind of realizing that they've been spoon fed a bunch of lies their whole life. And they just go ahead and assume that this hyper focus on protein is among those lies. And that, you know, we didn't have to eat meat and dairy to get that protein in the first place. And they're kind of right. <laughs> you know, it's definitely emphasized too much. And obviously it's not true that you need to eat meat and dairy to acquire protein. But also I feel like the vegan community goes a little too far in the other direction, like Giacomo was saying with the, well, everything has protein, so I never need to worry about it. And like every other podcast or blog or video we've ever made in the history of ever, uh, the answer is not black and white. It's somewhere in between. And that's what we're going to talk about today. How much protein is enough protein? How much protein is too much protein? And how do you achieve that as a vegan? So let's start with the first question, which is how much protein do you think someone should be consuming? And can we differentiate between athletes and non-athletes? All right, so here's the deal, right? How many times have you heard the words protein deficient and, and vegan lumped into the same, into the same sentence? Probably pretty often, I know I have. And quite frankly, let's really deconstruct what is a protein deficiency? Well, the, the general standard for someone being protein defi deficient 
is if they're getting, if they're, first of all, if they're eating enough, right? They're getting fewer than 4% of their total calories from protein, there is a possibility that they may become protein deficient. Now, the reality and the facts are in order to become protein deficient uh, as a vegan, you would somehow have to be basically starving yourself because even if you were trying your hardest to avoid any and all proteins in the plant-based world, you would still be getting about 10% of your total calories from protein. So logically, it's pretty much impossible to be protein deficient and vegan unless you're literally starving yourself, right? Yeah, I think that's definitely true. So just to, to clarify a little bit of what you are saying here is that not to say protein deficiency doesn't exist, but protein deficiency generally exists in conjunction with being calorie deficient. So starving, literally starving, because if you're eating enough calories to sustain yourself, even if you're eating a ridiculously low protein food like bananas, if you ate nothing but bananas, which we super don't recommend, but if you decided to do that and you were still reaching your total calories for the day, you still would be getting more than 4% of your calories from protein. Um, not much. Uh, and again, I don't recommend this for a plethora of reasons, but it would be really hard, almost impossible. Nay, you might need to actually have a health condition in order for your, like your body doesn't digest protein to be eating enough calories and be protein deficient uh, at the same time. So if you're calorie deficient and you are legitimately starving, um, like somebody who's suffering from anorexia, for example, would be legitimately starving. Yes, they're probably protein deficient, but they're probably everything deficient. So with that said, like somebody who's not an athlete, who is just a couch potato, somebody who's a desk jockey all day and goes home and chills on the couch until the next day, as long as you're eating enough calories, you're not going to be protein deficient. All right, so say we're dealing with, uh, with an athlete who's looking to grow their muscles and size as much as possible. And who, who would you consider an athlete? Somebody who's training three times a week or more, I would consider an athlete. Someone who needs to be, who or should be mindful of their protein intake. Not relevant to the total amount of calories they consume for the day, because I know some people like to go off percentages and stuff. When it comes to protein, you should be getting in a certain amount of protein per day, regardless of how much or how little you're consuming calorically. If you're looking to support muscle protein synthesis, AKA recovering from workouts and performing in the gym or you know, wherever, you're, you know, wherever your dojo is, so to speak. So yeah, we guess we didn't talk about this the first time we recorded it, but um, percent, when people say, how, much, how many of your calories should you be getting from protein? And they're asking for a percentage we never ever support that type of like answer. We never will give you a macro split based on percentages ever because if you're eating a thousand calories a day or 5,000 calories a day, that would change the protein intake significantly, but really protein intake should be more based on your body weight or lean body mass than anything else. So I ask again, how much protein should an athlete be eating? 0.8 to 1.2 grams per pound of lean body mass, not per pound of body weight, 
but per pound of lean body mass. So the first time we recorded this, we used me as an example. So uh, let's do that again. So I am five foot seven. I am 135 pounds. And based on my own knowledge of my body and what it looks like, I estimate myself to be about 20% body fat right now. So that puts me at about 108 pounds of lean body mass. So what I would do is I would take 108 pounds and multiply it by 0.8, which comes out to be 86 grams, or I would multiply it by 1.2, which puts me at 130 grams. So my protein range would be somewhere between 86 and 130 grams of protein, give or take. This does not have to be exact. You're not gonna know your exact lean body mass, and that's okay. You can use an estimation because as you can see, 86 to 130 is actually a pretty huge range. For me, as like a medium-sized female, I guess, that is 46, 44, 44 gram range there. And even just outside of those numbers, I think, is perfectly acceptable. So you have a lot of wiggle room to experiment here with a protein range. You might feel best and perform best at 86 grams. You might feel best and perform best at 130 grams. You just have to experiment and find out what works best for you. Um, another way that you can do this, if you are of, and I use this terminology uh, loosely and in quotation marks, if you are of a healthy weight um, and body fat percentage and you don't wanna do all this math, you can also go right around one gram per pound of body weight, and that's gonna put you in the same ballpark. So for myself, that would be about 135 grams, which as you can see when I did the calculation was really close to the upper end of that. And uh, yeah, that's okay too. The only people I would say that this doesn't really work super well for is if you're significantly overweight or obese, that number might be way off and you would just end up kind of wasting calories on protein that could be better allocated to carbohydrates and fats. Exactly. I mean, some of this is going to come down to sheer personal preference, meaning like what type of foods do you like to eat? You know, how do you like to balance your plate? Some people just enjoy more protein-dense foods, and it could be as simple as that. But a lot of people, especially... I would say especially vegans, but I'm a little bit biased because I work exclusively with vegans. So I actually, <laughs> I have found this to be true of a lot of non-vegans as well, but most people are not eating um, enough protein to fall within that range and really optimize their strength and recovery. I find uh, women especially tend to undereat protein in my opinion. Uh, women in general tend to undereat period. You could stop the sentence right there. Um, but they do tend to under eat protein. And as a side note, I have found that the vast majority of people who are really concerned about my protein intake, uh, I almost always eat more protein than they do. So it's a little bit funny. You know, and the interesting part is you know, we're, we're dealing, we're referring to people who literally come to us and remember, they're coming to veganproteins.com, so they're already, if they're signing up with us, they're already in the know that like, hey, protein is of, of somewhat, of, of, protein is somewhat important. So just imagine on a, a much broader scale, you know, that it is, that it would stand to reason that more often than not, women, men, vegan athletes in general are, are, 
are just not consuming enough protein for the day. And know? again, like I think it's important to reiterate, this doesn't put you in danger. <laughs> because as we said, if you're eating enough calories, you're eating enough protein to live. Nothing bad is going to, you know, when I get clients that they sign up with me and I go over their diet recall and I realize they're eating, you know, sometimes under 50 grams of protein a day, they're not in danger. Nothing bad is going to happen to them. But I know that people are working really hard on their diets. They're working really hard in the gym and they're just not seeing optimal results. And sometimes doing nothing else but upping that number can be a game changer in terms of their results. Yeah, the other thing is it's just important to realize that, that every person is different and you may very well not fall into the pool of people that may be affected. You know, like for in other words, you know, someone who consumes, needs to consume a lot of calories, for example, like they may just so happen to be consuming enough protein maybe you don't consume as many calories as them for whatever reason, you know? So um, I think it's important to look at things on a case-by-case basis and ask yourself, you know, track your food, figure it out. Like how much protein are you consuming? And then like really think about it constructively instead of watching what someone else does and, and saying to yourself, well, it works for them, maybe it could work for me. Or furthermore, just thinking about diet philosophy in general and saying, all right, well, you know, we don't have to obsess about protein and there's so, there's so much uh, out there in the vegan community saying like, hey, protein, like we're getting protein. Just track your own food, look at yourself as it, take yourself as an individual, you know, and uh, and find out what, what is, is and is not working for you by really thinking about it after you know what you're working with. So if you find you're one of those people who is under eating that protein range, I guess by a lot, And I do get a fair number of clients who that is exactly the case. They're doing so much right, but that is just really low. And when we make that change to bump up their protein, honestly, those are some of the best responders that I have, period, are people that were already eating enough. They just needed to shift their macronutrient um, substrates, like where the food is coming from. And things just start to go like magic in the gym. So I I would encourage people to, you know, give that a shot. If they feel kind of stuck in their goals, you might be surprised, you know, taking 40 grams away from your carbohydrates and adding it to your protein instead could be the game changer for you because it has so many effects on recovery, on satiety, because protein is very, very filling as opposed to carbohydrates, which kind of aren't, which is why some people, not all people, but some people can just eat carbohydrates endlessly without feeling full. It's very hard to do that with protein. It also has a much higher thermic effect of food, which means your body actually burns way more calories just just digesting protein than it does with carbohydrates or fats. And it also slows down the digestion of your other food because your body's like working hard to digest the protein. So it slows down the full processing of carbs and fats. So everything kind of takes a little bit longer to go through you. And especially when the goal is fat loss or weight loss, that can be very, very beneficial for you. Yeah, we touched upon a, a lot of points there, right? Performance, satiety. These, these are obviously, you think that they're they're they would appeal to somebody, but what I have found is <laughs> when someone already is hesitant to make a change, you know, and it comes to, and they, they wind up committing to the process of eating more protein, 
and they're already they're already scared like they have it in their head that they're scared of that <clears throat> I don't think people are scared of eating more protein per se mm. I think people are scared of the protein sources that's what I find a lot hmm. the idea of like okay we're gonna eat more protein and people are like yeah totally cool and then you start adding tofu and seitan to their meal plan and they're like whoa slow your roll with this processed junk I don't do that and then that's a whole conversation well, yeah, sure. I mean, we could we could talk about that till the day is long, uh, but without going into too much detail, I think it's important to first stop and think about, hey, you know, what what exactly are these foods made of that that there is so much fear mongering around, right? So tofu, for example, is as simple as it can. It takes a little bit of time to make, but essentially, if you've made it at home, you can make it in a pot of boiling water with soybeans and magnesium. That's it, right? I mean, is there anything else you need to make tofu? Mm -mm. Soybean and magnesium and water. That's it. Yep. Mm -hmm. Simple as that. Like, if if that's if that is <laughs> something that I should be scared of, please let me know. You know, the seitan, wheat, vegetable broth, and some seasonings. You know, uh, tempeh. Tempeh is is fermented soybeans. So once again, soybeans that are cultured the same way that you would yogurt. Now, when you break it down like that. Is it just because it's put in a package and put on a grocery shelf in the refrigerator or the frozen section, all of a sudden people are like, you know, they're, they're scared to eat it or they think that, you know, that it's overly processed or something like that. And I can't time and time again. It's like we have enough fear of food and fear mongering about food. I, I just don't understand why we, want to, why we want to pick apart these things, you know? I mean, I think that when people see something that looks like chicken and they know it's not chicken... They feel like some sort of black magic has to have occurred to have created this this product. And I get it because I remember back in the day when I was a newbie vegan lifter, I thought the same thing. And um, yeah, now that I've had a lot more experience under my belt, I have made so many of those mock meats in my own kitchen. I can make something that resembles a Boca crumble or a Gardein crumble. I can make Gardein chicken scallopinis in my own kitchen. I can make field roast sausages in my own kitchen from scratch. And, you know, I'm trying to take to YouTube to teach people how to do that more, one, so that they can make it themselves if they want to. Some people just enjoy making those things. I love it. Um, also, more than that is so people can see that this is not black magic. These are basic vegan foods being used together. And, you know, we're not saying you have to eat mock meats. And I don't want people to think that. We don't think anybody has to eat anything they don't want to. That is the beauty of flexible dieting. You can eat whatever you want to reach your macros. But what what I would say is, you know, I have clients that are soy-free and then we rely a lot on protein powder and seitan. And then I have clients that are gluten-free and we rely a lot on protein powder and tofu. Um, and then I have clients that are soy-free and gluten-free and they eat a lot of protein powder. And what I've found 90% of the time is that these limitations, if you will, of being soy-free or gluten-free or what have you, they're completely self-imposed. Most of the time, they are mm -hmm. self-imposed. And when you do that, you are limiting your access to foods that help you reach your protein goal. And if you're cool with that, that's fine. Again, you can eat whatever you want to reach these goals, but you're probably going to get bored more quickly with what you're eating, and then you're less likely to eat what you ought to be eating to reach your goals. 
and you're going to fall short of your protein goal. And if you consistently fall short of your protein goal, you will consistently fall short of your um, body composition or strength or recovery goals. And you're basically shooting yourself in the foot. A lot of it, a lot of it unnecessarily. Now I'm not saying that soy allergies don't truly exist or that gluten allergies don't really exist. I'm certain that they do, but I'm also certain that they're overhyped and that, you know, there's a lot of companies that do not want people relying on soy and gluten and mock meat products and mock dairy products. And, you know, there's whole lobbies that are rallying against calling almond milk milk, for example. Like, obviously there's big business that does not want us eating these things, and you better believe that they are at least in part behind us being afraid of eating these things. And what I have found is back when I was a soy-free, gluten-free, sugar-free, oil-free vegan, I was not reaching a single solitary one of my strength or physique goals. And once I was able to incorporate foods more flexibly, I was able to do so and enjoy every bit of what I was eating. So that was just a little side rant on uh, ways that we can hit our protein. So let, let's, let's talk logistics here. Let's talk what... How would you go about building a meal plan, if you will, your own menu plan um, to hit, let's say, the high end of that range, 130 grams? What would you do? How would you split that up? As many of you guys know, this last year has been really tough for me. For the first time in my adult life, I started thinking about like very grown up things like life insurance and and things like that. And I started doing some research and I actually came across this company called Health IQ and they're a life insurance agency that actually offers savings to very healthy people like vegans and people who lift regularly. And I thought that that was really cool. So I started doing some more digging and learned some interesting things. So some things I didn't know were that vegans have 15% lower risk of all-cause mortality. Vegans have 34% lower risk of female-specific cancers. And people who strength train at least twice a week have 41% reduction in early death from heart disease compared to people who don't lift. Um, But when you think about it, oftentimes we end up paying the same prices for insurance as people who are a lot less healthy. And this life insurance agency, Health IQ, actually can save you quite a bit of money if you go and take their Health IQ quiz and, you know, prove to them that you're vegan and you lift and you're healthy and they take you all the way from the beginning of like taking that quiz all the way through starting an application and underwriting the policy and all of that stuff that, you know, can be quite overwhelming. They kind of hold your hand all the way through that. And I personally just think that that's really cool. And it's something I didn't know about. So I thought maybe I could pass this information on to you guys and, you know, perhaps it could help some of you out if you were thinking about doing this, but you weren't really sure uh, if you're going to go that route. This is definitely a cool route to go. So if you want to see if you qualify, you can go get a free quote at healthiq.com slash vegan proteins, or you can mention vegan proteins when you call and talk to a Health IQ agent. 
But definitely, if it's something you've been thinking about, you have nothing to lose by checking it out. So I highly recommend going and taking a look because it could save you quite a bit of money just because you are living a healthier lifestyle. All right. Well, you know, we want to split it up into anywhere from as few as three to as many as six meals throughout the day. And the reason being is because the science says you can stimulate muscle protein synthesis, which is basically the repair of damaged muscle tissue anywhere from three to six times a day, no more than that. So naturally you're going to want, whenever your protein can can work for you, you're going to want to split that up evenly throughout the day um, in anywhere from a three to six meal per day ratio. Yep. So we would want to maximize, you know, to a degree, maximize muscle protein synthesis as much as we can. So fewer than three meals, we'd be, you know, leaving some gains on the table with some opportunities for stimulating muscle protein synthesis, more than six meals. And the protein feedings are probably going to be so small that they're going to be below that protein threshold of stimulating muscle protein synthesis, which is depending on the person between 20 and 25 ish grams of protein. So if you're eating a meal, that's 15 grams of protein, for example, it's probably too low to stimulate muscle protein synthesis. Yeah, which is why I usually like to kind of find the sweet spot around four or five meals a day. So let's just take four for an example. We have someone who wants to get 130 grams of protein in a day. It doesn't necessarily have to be completely even evenly distributed. What I per, usually prefer to tend to do is I'll have a little more protein pre and post workout because that's usually the time of the day where one, I want to feel full and energetic going into the gym. And afterwards, I'm usually ravenous and insatiable. Uh, my hunger is is just insatiable. Like I want to keep eating. So that little bit of extra protein pre and post workout uh, works for me as far as my muscles are concerned and my satiety signals are concerned. So like say 35 grams pre, 35 grams post, and then 30, you know, maybe for a snack or lunch and then another 30 grams for dinner. I will literally take protein dense foods and stagger them throughout those four meals. Maybe I'll go for one of the vegan meats like a tofu or seitan for lunch and dinner and then pre and post for convenience purposes. I, I, I know, you know, Danny, you're not really a fan of the, the protein shakes. You like to, you know, you, you don't like to drink your food. But for me, honestly, I, I find um, it's a good time uh, convenience wise to get them in. And then I build around that. So I think, yeah, you split it into the number of meals you want. And if you're using something like my fitness pal, which I recommend if you're or tracking your food in the first place, my fitness pal is a great way to do it. So split it into the number of meals you want, plug in your protein dense foods first. So what are some protein dense foods that are vegan? Well, tofu, tempeh, seitan, beyond meat, gardein, field roast, boca, eaves, light life, a plethora of protein powders like Elevate Nutrition, Clean Machine, Plant Fusion, Raw Fusion, True Protein, Sun Warrior. I mean, there's so many now. And what you'll find interesting is not just what's on this list, but what is not on this list are things like beans and peanut butter and quinoa. Um, Because if you were to look at the Instagram memes... You'd think that's where all the vegan protein is, right? In in the pumpkin seeds and uh, and chickpeas. And guess what? That's not true. <laughs> so yes, they do have some protein. You know, a half a cup of chickpeas has five grams of protein. 
Whoop-dee-doo. Do you know what else a half a cup of chickpeas has? 27 grams of carbohydrates. Chickpeas are a carbohydrate food with some protein. Look at peanut butter. Two tablespoons, two measly little tablespoons of peanut butter has six or seven grams of protein. Do you know what else it has? 16 grams of fat. So protein, uh, so peanut butter, for example, is 80% fat. Hemp hearts, very high in fat. Almonds, cashews, any nut or seed is going to be predominantly fat. Chickpeas are about 70% carbohydrates. Uh, lentils, black beans, kidney beans, all of those are going to be very high in carbohydrates. That does not mean that the five or six grams of protein in them doesn't count. It means you don't want to make that the main protein of your meal or unless you are a larger person or somebody with a very fast metabolism, you're probably going to go over your carbohydrate or fat goal using those as your main protein sources long before you hit your protein. So when you're splitting your meal plan up into, let's say, four or five meals, plug in those protein-dense foods first. The tofu, the tempeh, the seitan, the mock meat, the protein powder in your shakes. Plug that in first and then plug in the, you know, protein extras like chickpeas and nutritional yeast. Um, vegetables are, you know, they do have a fair amount of protein in them. It's just they're so calorically light or nutrient dense, but not calorically dense that you can't get a lot of protein from them because you'd have to eat literally like 10 pounds of broccoli in a day. Uh, so you want to plug those things in second. And then after that, you would want to plug in your more overt carb foods like potatoes or rice um, or your overt fats like avocados. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, and we're not sitting here saying that the vegan proteins that are higher in protein are going to make the bulk, make up the bulk of your protein in your diet. And we aren't necessarily even trying to say that you should think of macronutri macronutrients in isolation. What we are, however, saying is to start with those overt proteins and maybe they make up like half of your total protein for the day. And then the other half you're going to make up organically just by consuming a, a variety of foods, right. you know? Yeah, no, that's a good point. Because sometimes when I'm building a program for somebody, I'll do exactly what I just said, plug in the overt pr proteins. And then as I start to fill in the gaps, I find that protein is getting higher and higher because the protein extras, the stuff from the beans and the nuts and seeds, it is adding up. And then sometimes we can get way over that 1.2 grams per pound of lean body mass threshold. And then I will go back to those protein dense foods and make the serving sizes smaller. So it takes a little while to get the feel for it. And like Giacomo said, it's not always going to be like, the, oh, you have this huge brick of tofu on your plate and like three spinach leaves on top of it. And that's your whole meal. Although sometimes there are times when your goals are in, are structured in such a way where you are eating kind of more protein dense foods than anything else. The whole end of my prep was just like that. But now that I'm no longer in prep, uh, my plate looks much, much more balanced in terms of all the types of food. Uh, so it really just depends. But it's very hard, I think, for a lot of people to figure out how to get their protein in without going way over their carbohydrates and their fats. And this is a trick to help people learn how to do that. Split it up into your meals and plug the protein-dense foods in first 
and fill in around them. This is also a great way to learn what is protein dense and what isn't because even tofu, we just said tofu is a really protein dense food. Tofu is like 50% fat. Um, certain protein powders, you know, you look at like Elevate Nutrition has almost no carbs in it. You look at Orgain protein powder and it's got 15 grams of carbs for, per 20 grams of protein. So, you know, it's a good practice get in, to get into just to learn as well. Well, I guess another question that I feel like comes up pretty often, honestly, even though to me it's it's not super duper relevant, but I'm curious to hear your opinion on it, Danny, is are there certain types of proteins that are higher quality than others and, and how heavily do we need to weigh this out when we are uh, when we're creating our meal plans? So I think this is a great question, actually, and a lot of it I feel so it starts back in the 70s with that study about combining proteins where it's like you have to eat rice and beans together to get a complete protein. And we now know that that is essentially bullshit, right? Because as long as you're eating a variety of foods throughout the day, you are getting all of the amino acids throughout the day. Now, when somebody just gets their protein from one source, right? Like if their protein-dense food is just tofu, and they're eating tofu as their protein at breakfast and tofu as their protein at lunch and tofu as their protein at dinner, well, then they're constantly going to be limited by the limiting amino acid in tofu. And I think that there is a benefit to having some, you know, having a little bit of different types of protein throughout the day. And I was actually having this conversation with a competitor client of mine not too long ago um, because she was a little bit hesitant about having some of the packaged mock meats on occasion and said she would feel, you know, a bit better if she just had tofu, you know, assumedly this being the cleaner protein, so to speak. And I didn't argue, but I suggested that there actually are some benefits to the mock meats in the package because, you know, tofu is just soy, right? Mm -hmm. Which is great. I love me some tofu, but some of the packaged meats their soy, their gluten, and their peas. Or they're a combination of many types of protein, so you're getting a wider range of amino acids in one hit. Um, and I think that that can be great for your amino acid pool to make sure you're getting you know, plenty of well-rounded proteins. Uh, that's just a hypothesis. I don't actually, I don't have any data to back that up, but it's just a theory and I, I, think, I think that it holds true. But in general, it's like anything else. I would never tell somebody to eat just broccoli as their vegetables. I'd say eat a whole bunch of vegetables because you'll get more micronutrients from it. Eat a whole bunch of types of protein and you're going to get a better amino acid pool. So, uh, yeah, in terms of actual combining at meals, I don't think that that is true at all. Mm -hmm. um, but I do think that in order to get, quote, the highest quality proteins, you're better off to eat a variety of sources. So if you do feel like you are stuck at your goals and you feel like you're doing a lot of things right, take a look at your protein intake, see where it's at. And if you're not in that 0.8 to 1.2 grams per pound of lean body mass range, try bumping it up or try bumping it up or down within that range and see how your body responds. But it's definitely something that is constantly worth um, not stressing about, but thinking about and being aware of when you have serious strength and physique goals.
All right, moving on to our question and answer segment. So unfortunately, we did have two questions that we recorded in the first time we recorded this episode, and they are gone. So I am I can't even remember what they were or who they were from. If you had a question and you don't hear it answered by the end of June, ask it again. All right, Giacomo, this question is for you. It is from Vegan Shred on Instagram. What are some winter foods that don't pack on the pounds? What's up, Aaron? <laughs> Didn't I hear from you like yesterday? <laughs> it's good to hear from you again, my friend. Uh, Aaron, Aaron just finished competing himself, so I'm sure that he's, you know, wanting to keep up with his conditioning and whatnot. And regarding your question, we're going to be going for... I, I think when our concern is to not pack on the, the pounds, it's, it's a matter of keeping within our caloric budget. Right, and we want to keep within our caloric budget, and we want to maintain a certain level of conditioning. My suggestion here is to go for voluminous foods. Voluminous foods that are good in the winter time. I think squashes are major. Squashes are really helpful. Uh, I think beans are good too because they're fibrous and a little high in protein. Lentils specifically. Cause... I was gonna say lentil soup yeah. and soups in general in the winter. Right. Some some are, are denser than others. But like lentil soup or any soup, you can it's hot. You can control exactly how voluminous it is. So like when I want something hot that is really low calorie, I will do a vegetable soup that it's basically just vegetable broth with carrots, onions, celery, and greens and spices. And that's like as low calorie as you can get some cabbage in there. But if I want to make it a little denser, I'll add some potatoes or I'll add some lentils or seitan or you could even add noodles and make like a seitan noodle soup. Um, so I feel like there's so much that you can do with soup. So that's one idea. Yeah, I just wonder if I'm going to piss people off with this one because uh-uh. it's, <laughs> it's the food that people tell us. It's the number one food that people tell us. Like I like anything but mushrooms. But mushrooms are not only relatively dense in protein, they're filling, and they go good in soup, too. People that hate mushrooms also hate eggplants, is what I found. Mushroom and eggplant really? on our list of, like, what foods do you like? What foods do you dislike? If someone says mushrooms, they almost always say eggplant. Interesting. <laughs> um, let's see, some other wintry foods. So, I don't know, we live in, like, the tundra. <laughs> but I know that you live in Canada, so I imagine it's like that there, too, but... Cruciferous greens, collards, kale, um, that definitely are good food that's still growing in the winter here. And yeah, I think you covered it with squash. Those are those are my favorites there. Mm-hmm. All right, I got a question for you, Danny. Mm-hmm. What can you do to boost your metabolic rate? This question is from Sweet on NH mm-hmm. on Instagram. What can you do to boost your metabolic rate? Um, So there's actually a lot of interesting research coming out right now. And when I say interesting, I mean depressing in that, (laughs) in that, you know, it looks like there's actually very little we can do to boost our long-term metabolic rate and our long-term set point, like our metabolic set point, which is... For me, sad, because mine has never been particularly great, (laughs) and I'm always trying to find ways to speed it up, Um, but it looks like that might not be a thing that they've, whether you can do it or we just haven't figured it out yet, but there's things you can do in the short term. 
So when I think metabolic rate, I think about the way your body is, right? Like how many calories do you burn at rest? It'd be like, what's your eye color or what's your hair color? What's your metabolic rate? And that's what I mean when I say it looks like we probably can't change it. But we can change it in the short term. We can find ways that we can burn more calories today and tomorrow um, and things like that. And those things would be the first and probably most important one I would say would be to build muscle. And I mean this in a couple ways. One, muscle is more metabolically active. Lean tissue is more metabolically active than fat tissue. So just muscle existing on your frame burns calories. Likewise, this sounds kind of counterintuitive, but having a few more pounds on us will make us burn significantly more calories. Smaller people burn fewer calories. That's really important to remember, and it's the reason why a lot of people plateau while they're dieting, is not because their metabolism slowed down, it's because a 130-pound person burns a lot fewer calories than a 150-pound person in a day. So building muscle and having that muscle be sort of added to our body weight is probably the best way to burn more calories. Also, in my opinion, eating a higher protein diet helps us burn more calories, again, because of that thermic effect of food. And then the biggest one is your NEAT, moving your body throughout the day. Uh, for me, this is my steps, and I get made fun of a lot for hitting my step count every day. <laughs> uh, as it is, it is 8.30 at night, and I have to get about 6,000 more by the time the night's over. But I would say for every... Man, I can't remember exactly. I want to say you burn an extra 100 calories for every one to 2,000 steps you take, depending on your size. And that's really easy to do just by little things like parking in the back of the parking lot, walking up the stairs, pacing while you're on the phone. Being a fidgety person burns more calories. Um, and the very last thing I would suggest is taking a zinc supplement, zinc citrate specifically, about 20 to 30 milligrams with food, or you will puke, I promise, in <laughs> um, some studies has been shown to burn an additional 100 calories per day, um, which isn't a lot, but every little bit counts. You know, 100 calories a day is almost a pound a month um, in either weight loss or an extra 100 calories a day that you could eat without gaining weight. So, And just to add one other point here, if you've been under eating for a while, you'll just maintain the same body weight, eating less calories, for example, your metabolism will literally meet you where you're at and downregulate by mm -hmm. up to around 15%. So mm -hmm. in other words, you know, you could, you could do the Danny trick and increase your need by, by doing more steps. Not to say that that's what she's doing. It's just a way to increase your need manually or you could increase your need automatically just by eating a little bit more i'm not mm -hmm. talking like go overboard but say you add anywhere from i don't know 50 to 125 calories more on your plate if you've been under eating you'd be surprised where your body literally adapts to that and yep. nothing else changes other than the fact you're eating a little more because guess what when you're putting a little more fuel in the tank but it's not over the top, you are going to just start naturally fidgeting more just because you, you have more fuel coming in. Your body's like, all right, we could use this stuff. That's a great point, Giacomo. That's a really good one and 100% uh, true. But that, that's kind of a trial and error one. Mm. Like you kind of figure that one out as you go. Like, okay, 
look, I, I'm eating a little bit more and my weight's staying the same and I feel better. Oh, I'm eating a little bit more. My weight's staying the same and I feel better. Oh, I'm eating a little bit more. And now the scale is going up. Okay, you found your threshold. That's where it is. All right, everybody, thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Vegan Proteins Muscles by Brussels Radio. As usual, if you have any topics you want us to cover or any questions you want answered, feel free to reach out to us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or YouTube. Thank you again so much for listening. My name is Danny. And I'm Giacomo. And we will talk to you soon. Could've-